looking at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy and his family to prison pits, to uh, accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. As the buckets go around, I want to take you back to a time before I was married to this beautiful lady, to a time before we had two uh, wonderful redhead children. I want to take you back before a time, a distant memory, when before I uh, got down on one knees and proposed and she said, heck yes. I want to take you back before we were that, uh, that couple, will they, won't they, the Ross and Rachel of our time, you know. I want to take you back to... Before we were an item, before the meet queue even, I want to take you back to the week before I first laid eyes on Fiona. I, I got a phone call from a friend who was in Stellenbosch saying, I've got a, a, a friend who's moving down to Cape Town who's looking for a church. Uh, he has her number. Can you get hold of her? And I said, sure. And she said, she's single. I said, sure, that's wonderful. I would love to take her number then. You know, I was single and anyone else who's single, I'm ready. I'm ready just to minister whatever God has for them, you know. And... Um, and I got a number and we started to text back and forth and I didn't know who I was texting. Little did I know I was there right there texting uh, my future wife. And uh, I remember as we were doing this, she said, I would love to go to a home group, a life group before church. Can you recommend one? So I said, sure. And I sent her to this couple's house and she got there. And then after that evening, that couple phoned me and said, Gabe, you sent us the most amazing girl. I'm like, you know, that's just what I do. That's why they pay me the big bucks. I am, I am pastor extraordinaire. That's me. And they said, Gabe, but seriously, have you met her? And I had to confess that I hadn't met her yet. They said, Gabe, we think you should meet her. And all of a sudden, I, I suddenly got excited, and I did what every, any self-respecting single guy in their mid-20s would do. I moved the relationship from texting to Facebook stalking. <laughs> profile picture, right-click, save as. Profile picture, right-click, save as. It's okay. We got married, so I'm not a stalker. It's all right. It's all right. Don't judge me. It's fine. We got married. All's well that ends well. But um, I remember as I saw these images of how beautiful Fiona was, and I became very aware of how inadequate I was. And I'm like, how is this going to happen? I'm, I was like, I just, I need, I need something's got to go. I, I, I want in on this. I want in on this girl. I think this is, this is it. So I was a bit nervous, though, because I looked at her profile picture. I looked at mine. I realized, and this was before I was well built. So um, <laughs> cast your mind back then. And uh, so I went to uh, a mutual friend of mine, and I said to him, I said, hey, listen, I, I need some advice. I showed him the picture, and I said, listen, I, I, what, what do I do here? Do I bide my time? Do I play it cool? Do I just like, you know, do I just wait a little bit? To, uh, do I take a few months to get to know her slowly? Because I, I think there's going to be a bit of a queue of single guys. You know how churches work, eh? You know how it works. And, I, and, I, and, and he said to me, he said this incredible advice. He said this, Gabe, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? <laughs> and those weren't his words. He was quoting Eminem from uh, The Eight Mile. But, uh, but I tell you, I got the gist of it because my palms were sweaty, my knees were weak, and my arms were heavy. But in a sense, this is what he actually did say to me. He said to me, Gabe, take a shot. What do you got to lose? Take a shot. And, and there was those words that reverberated in my heart. And as they say in the classics, the rest is history, everybody. There she is, my wife, nine years married now. Thank you very much. I appreciate that very polite and awkward applause. Thank you. Well done. But I want to tell you today, I want to preach a message entitled, Take a Shot. 
Take a shot because I think in this post-pandemic world where we sleepily trying to find our way forward, stumbling our way forward, I want to encourage you today to take a shot at greatness. It's the end of the year, Gabe. We're slowing down. I want to say, no, we're just ramping up in the kingdom of God. Take a shot at being used by God. Take a shot at breaking the status quo. Take a shot at breakthrough. Take a shot at maybe getting your family back. Take a shot at getting free of that addiction. Take a shot at the future God has for you. But here's my question. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Gabe, what if it feels like I'm all out of bullets? What if it feels like I've got my back up against the wall? What if it feels like I'm in an environment, in a job, in a dead-end job, in a relationship where it feels like nothing's going enough? I've taken all the shots I know how to do, but it feels like I'm all out of bullets. And maybe it even feels like the, the actual the, the barrel has turned the opposite way and you're staring down the barrel yourself. What do you do in that situation? Well, I'm glad you asked because I believe this sermon is just for you. I want to answer the question, how do you have power when it seems like you've got no power? We're going to go to Scripture to find out the answers. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1 through to 22. It'll appear on the screen behind me. Let's read together. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kind of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket of my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told them. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Before we dig into the word, I want to pray a deep, long, elaborate prayer. Let's close our eyes. Speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the title of my sermon. I want you to tell them with as much gusto as you can. Tell them, take a shot. 
And I also believe that the that testimony is a spirit of prophecy. So if you are single and they are single, why don't you say, take my number? Come on, give it a go. Give it a go. You never know, people. I want to give us four things from this text to help us take a shot when we, how to have power when it seems like you've got no power. Number one, take a shot at serving. Take a shot at serving. You see, we pick up this man, Joseph, and Joseph in this narrative where we started reading now, he's at the juncture where he's been in prison in a foreign nation for a crime he did not commit, and he's been in there for over a decade, all the way through his 20s. The, the best part of his years have been given to a prison cell, and it's an incredible re- re- realization that when we find Joseph, falsely accused, sitting in a, in, a, in a prison cell a million miles away from home, a million miles away from family and home comforts, and been almost forgotten there for over a decade, where he looks around and he feels like he's got no other shots to take. He's out of bullets. He's out of any ability to promote himself in any shape, form, or fashion. And we don't find him sulking, which would probably be the Gabe Phillips way, if I'm being honest. Sulking, you know, sitting in the corner going, this sucks. Why me? How come this is my, I've been such a good guy. This is not fair. God, what's going on? And sulking in the corner. And we also, conversely, we don't find him shouting. Standing there going at the gate cell saying, justice for Joseph. Get me the Daily Herald. Hashtag, Joe must be set free or some, something of the like, you know. We don't find him sulking. We don't find him shouting. shouting. We find him serving. Serving, serving in this prison cell. And actually, for us, this is not just a Joseph reality. This is a biblical reality. Because actually, when we turn the scriptures all the way to the New Testament, we find a man named Jesus speaking this narrative. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, he says, After they arrived in Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. I love it. I love when Jesus, he overhears them arguing. So he says, what are you guys talking about? And now they feel like they've been exposed because they were talking about who was the best. That they're going, you know, they were, they were trying to rank themselves. And we had Peter saying, well, at least I'm ahead of Judas because you know that guy. He's dreadful. But, you know, it's like they're arguing on the road. And Jesus, and he sits them down. In verse 35, he says, he called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. In the next chapter, he goes on, and James and John come. They, they haven't got this lesson. They come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, thank you for that amazing TED talk the other day about serving. It was wonderful. But I know that's for those other guys. For us, we want to ask if we, as brothers, can ask you for a friend. Can we can sit on your left and your right when you come into glory? And Jesus has to then start to explain to these guys and the other disciples about the way the kingdom of God works. And he gets to the crux of the matter in verse 42, where it says this, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be a first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man... That's Jesus talking about himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we, if we take that understanding, that, that Jesus narrative, and put it over, laid over Joseph's story, we pick up Joseph, who's a million miles away, metaphorically and, then, and actually physically, he's a million miles away, seemingly from the promise of God. From chapter 39, when he gets the promise, the dream, that this is the track of your life. It's gonna look like this. It's gonna be people bowing down to you. You're being raised to levels of authority. He has this prophetic word from God. But from that moment, chapter 39, to where we pick him up now and a couple chapters later, it's been decades and we find him in a place where he seems even further away from the promise of God than when he started. 
He's a, he's, he seems to be going the wrong way, away from what God had planned for his life. And it feels like there's no shots left to take. And in that moment, in a prison cell, two other guys come to him and say, hey, buddy, we want to tell you about our dreams. Let me be honest. If I'm Joseph, I'm going, your dreams. Stuff your dreams. Let me tell you about me. I was a man who had a dream once. You know, you start becoming that guy. You know, let me tell you about life, guys. And, and you start, uh, that's what I would be, if I'm honest. But Joseph, in this moment, he kicks into a different narrative. He starts fighting for other people's dreams. And I love this reality that this is the, the huge thing. In the, when Joseph could have kicked out, he starts to fight for other people's dreams. He starts serving their dreams. And there's this realization that needs to come to the church because we've been so seduced that we think this whole thing is a setup about us and your dream. Live your dream. How do I make it possible for you to live your best life now? And we think everyone else should be around us to help prop up our dreams. When in the Bible, it's the absolute opposite. You live for other people's dreams. Jeremiah 29, 11, we've quoted it many times. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. Oh, I love that one. But read that one correctly. You read it like this. God speaking, saying, I know the plans I have for you. Yeah, they're good plans, but they're not your plans. They're my plans. It's not about your plans. It's about my plans. And this is the reality that actually when we see this narrative take place, we find this man, Jesus, if we fast forward again, Jesus, in that when he is talking about serving, he's just coming off a discourse where he's telling his disciples that his heavenly father has placed everything into his hands. Jesus is saying, the father has placed everything into my hands. Now, if I'm Jesus and everything's been placed into my hands, what do you do next? I'll reach for the title. I'll reach for the power. Uh, he's given me everything, so I'm reaching for my rightful kingdom. I'm reaching for my authority. But no, we find Jesus is the, the antithesis of what our natural desires would be, our natural inclinations. The Father's placed everything into my hands, and we find the first thing Jesus reaches with those hands, the disciples' feet, the lowest place. He takes the place of a servant and reaches for their feet. And I want to tell you, that is the sign of power. If you want to know what the sign of kingdom power is, we've been so seduced that it's the opposite. But I want to tell you, a sign of kingdom power is serving. And it's not just serving, it's actually serving those who don't deserve it. That's when you're tapping into true authority and you see this is the place of anointing. I, I want to say this as a young man who's only been married for just shy of a decade. But if you want a good marriage... Forget all the books and the self-help. Forget about even date nights and all those good things. Good things. But here is the key. Serve your spouse. Serve them even when they don't deserve it. Especially when they don't deserve it. Hey, Fiona. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is the secret to kingdom power, kingdom authority, kingdom go forward momentum. Serve your church even when you don't think they deserve it. Serve your school, serve your business, serve your colleagues, serve your boss, serve your employees, even when they don't feel like they deserve it. When you say, when you say but I've got all the authority and you're gonna use it to go lower, watch what God will do. You see, it's not for what you can get out of it. It's rather what I can get out of it for them. Because I know I've prayed this prayer. We all, we've all done this. We say prayers like this, God, the music's playing. We say, God, use me. And then a month later, we're like, oh, I feel so used. <laughs> Just feel not appreciated. I need a break. I need me time. Self-care. Let's go. Get the essential oils. I need a bath. <laughs> and, and we do that. Or we say prayers like this. We say, God, I want to be a bridge for your kingdom. 
And then a month later, we say, oh, I just feel like people are walking all over me. Just, you know, it's like, don't even appreciate me. But you see, this is the reality. This is not just some good advice. This is the very nature of our King Jesus. If we don't get this, we don't get Jesus. Because the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he poured himself out. He poured himself out to the very emptiness. He poured himself out for humanity. And in service, he poured himself out. He emptied himself, the kenosis. But this is the reality. So often we pour ourselves out for people. We pour ourselves out for our families. We pour ourselves out for church. We pour ourselves out. And we, at the end of the year, we go, but what if there's nothing left for me? Here's my indication for you is take a shot. Take a shot at serving and see what God will do. First point is take a shot at serving. Secondly, take a shot at humility. I love this nature. They come. They say to Joseph, he has our dreams. And Joseph's response is this. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. I love this confident humility in who God is. He knows it's not in himself, but it's not this false humility where he's shying back from what God's called him to. He's stepping into what God's calling him to, but knowing that it's all God. And this is the reality. Joseph had lost the clothes, but he hadn't lost the call. What, what I want to bring us to is a scripture that's been just really shaping me in the last little while. Or just a one-liner. Isaiah 66 verse 2. It talks about what God is looking for. If you want to know, what is God looking for? God is not looking for the impressive CV. At this moment, he's not looking for the big social media following. He's not looking for somebody with connections and a platform that he can use. No, the Bible says in Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says, God is actively seeking for the humble, the contrite hearts, and those who tremble at his word. God is looking for those who are humble, who have contrite hearts, and those who tremble at his word. And when I say humility, I want to tell you for me, humility is not about thinking about ourselves less I believe according to the scripture, it's thinking about him more. Thinking about God more. And that's the, for me, the key is that last part, part of that verse, that if you want a humble and contrite heart, it's the word of God. Tremble at my word. Those who tremble at my word. And I, I love that. I've been so shaken by that in every sense of the word because the, that word says, those who shake, who tremble at my word. And that's showing that this, this, this Bible, the Word of God, has to find its correct prominence in our lives. And I want to say to my own heart, it's time for us as humanity to drop our opinions and come under and submit under the Word of God. I've read so many blogs of the way the church should be operating. I've read, watched so many YouTube clips about how we should be navigating life. And all wonderful, helpful. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, if we do not come and find our, our source, our future under the Word of God, we are actually prideful and arrogant. And God's not looking for any of that. And this is the reality for me. I, I say, for us, it is this too often we are trembling, not before the word of God, but we're trembling at what man thinks of us. So we start tailoring the word of God to our lives. I, I remember a conversation with Fiona many years ago after a year of marriage. And I thought I really crushed my first year of marriage. I thought I was good. I thought at Christmas she's giving me the mug that's saying best husband of the year. I was ready for that mug. I'm happy. And I remember we went for a walk, and I, and I was maybe a little bit uh, too super spiritual at that time, and I was walking with her, she on my left, and I'm on her right, and as I was walking, I was, gonna, I was trying to set myself up for a cheap compliment. I don't know if anyone else ever does this, maybe it's just me, but I was, I was needing some words of affirmation from her, so I thought I'd do it in a spiritual sense. I'd say to, I said to her, Fiona, I wanted to appear deep, if I'm being honest, I said, what is, what is the one thing that will stop me walking into the fullness that God has for me? And I was hoping, if I'm being honest, that she would say, Gabe. You stop that right now. You are a mighty man of God. 
You are called and anointed. You are highly favored. When you speak, kingdoms are built and come, are teared down. You are, you forget Charles Spurgeon, forget uh, John Wimber, forget Paul and the Apostle Paul and Peter. Forget those guys. You are the one God's going to use. I was hoping for something like that, to be honest. At the very least, I was hoping her to be quiet for a while and say, well, I'm not too sure. Can I think about it and get back to you? But I wasn't ready for my, for, my, for my wife to take a shot at me in that moment. But we're walking. I said, Fiona, what is the one thing that will stop me walking to the fullness that God has for me? And without skipping a beat, without even looking to the right, without even breaking stride, she kept walking and said, fear of man, you're a people pleaser. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. I was completely dumbfounded. But the more I realized that actually that was such truth to my heart because actually I'd realized that I became, I'd become addicted to what people thought of me. I'd become addicted to actually hoping that people would think well of me rather than actually speaking the truth of God to them sometimes. That I would tailor words so that people would go, wow, you're amazing, rather than actually, shucks, God's challenging me. And I had to realize that this was actually wounds that were actually helpful for me to move forward because you realize the way we read scripture, I've said it before, but I think we've done ourselves a disservice. We open the Bible and we say, the first thing you should do when you read the Bible is ask, what does it mean to me? Which is anti-biblical because that's where we get ourselves into trouble. We don't come and read, what does it mean to me? We read the Bible and say, what does it mean? Not to my personal opinion, not to how I feel, not to what I think in my theology and how I think God should be. No, I start with what does it mean? Then shapes the way I act. You see, this is the reality. Scripture doesn't bend to us. We bend to Scripture. John 1 says the Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word became flesh. Track with me for a second. And I want to believe, I believe the Word became flesh so that when we read Scripture, when we come under with humility, say, God, your Word must shape who I am. We bring our defaults, our deficiencies, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, our prejudices under the word of God. Our flesh starts to become his word. Track with me for a while there. You see, this is the reality for us. I move on. James 4 verse 6 says this. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that a scary scripture? It says God actively is against, he's in opposition to the proud. Not just tolerating them, but he's actively against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I say this again and again, God doesn't need our platforms. He's not needing our stages. He's not needing our social media followings. Oh, if only, if only Justin Bieber got saved. If only Kanye got saved, then the world will know. Well, too soon, too soon, people. But you realize, he's not needing their celebritism to get the gospel out. Because actually the gospel is antithetical to the way of the world. The world say, get a bigger name. Jesus says, no, I keep giving up my name. The enemy, Satan, Luke 4 said, take the platform. I want to give you the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus kept saying, no, I want to step off the stage of man. I don't need the stage of man because I trust my father. And this is what true humility is, is for us in this reality, is that I say it again and again. God loves using no name brands. God loves using no-name brands. So here's a great freeing statement for you. Quit trying to make a name for yourself. The whole world is all about make a name for yourself. Get prominence. Get the algorithm right. So you're at the top of the Google search, and it's exhausting. My daughter uh, is just uh, operating the monkey bars at the moment. 
And uh, the monkey bars, she's going for it, but with her, her five-year-old body, she doesn't have the upper body strength of her dad yet. <laughs> They'll come when she turns six. But, um, <laughs> but it's quite a thing to watch her. She goes on the monkey bars. It's like this little body is, is wants to go for it. And it's like every ounce of energy. She's trying to reach for the next one, but she's, it's exhausting to watch. It's literally like watching what humanity is doing these days. Are we, we're trying to get, I need, to, I need to get better. I need to get greater. I need to make a name for myself. And we're all wondering why we're burnt out and, and fragile and feeling insecure because we're all trying to pull ourselves up. But then her dad, all 72 kgs of me, comes underneath her. And as I put my shoulders there and I lift her up, she starts to move like a Russian gymnast. Look at her go. And I'm like, sign her up for the Olympics, people. Look at my girl Go. And that's what the Bible actually says. The Bible says this. It says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that. Humble yourself. Here's the thing. Humility will come. Will either come by life circumstances, by you humbling yourself, or God will do it. Let me tell you, the easiest way to do it is humble yourself. Humble yourself. And the Bible says, humble yourself, not because you failed, but humble yourself under God's mighty hand. The Bible says, in due time, in the Kairos time, in his appointed time, not according to when you think you should get it, when it's due me, this promotion is due me. No, at the due time, it says, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Exaltation will come. This is the reality for you and I. I love the fact that this is not the call of Gabe, it's the call of God. He'll be faithful to it. He'll resource it. He'll make it happen because God is not looking for palaces. He's looking for mangers. Jesus, the Son of God, was born in a manger, in a place of humility, in a place where world was despised, was overlooked, when everything inside of me would have been as an agenda, get the palace. But God says, no, no, this is the way of the kingdom. And maybe you're here today and you say, but what if no one sees me? What if no one gives me the promotion? What if no one recognizes what I've brought to the table? Take a shot at humility. Take a shot. See what God will do. Serving, humility. Thirdly, it's obedience. Take a shot at obedience. I love the fact that Joseph gets his dream in chapter 39, but as you track his life, he only walks into the supernatural when he's in prison a few chapters later on the back of obedience. It's when they come and say, here's our dreams, will you interpret them? When he steps into that place of obedience and saying, Bring, tell them to me, I will interpret them, that's when the supernatural gifting is unleashed. It's an incredible reality that we've seen Joseph do nothing supernatural up to this point. It's only in this moment in a prison cell that he steps into the supernatural. And I want to tell you that obedience is the thing that unlocks the supernatural. Obedience is the realm of the supernatural. This is the reality that it's us saying yes to God when our flesh screams no. I, I, I love the fact when I read Jesus, I studied marketing for four years, so when I come to read Jesus on the first, on face value, I often think Jesus was a terrible marketer. Dang, he was dreadful. If, he was, if the ambition was to get his message out to the world, he's dreadful at it. Because every time I read him, he's saying the most controversial, antagonistic things, and it feels like he's trying to diminish the crowd. He says things like this, deny yourself and you will live. He says, if you do not bear your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Just think about that for a second. He said, if you do not bear your cross, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. I think the world is brought into, uh, there's a, the first class Christians, business class, 
Those ones who really are obedient, those are more godly people. And then there's economy class for the rest of us. No, we don't really have to follow Jesus. We just have to say a prayer and we're fine, you know? But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, if you do not bear your cross, you cannot be my disciple. This is it. I want to tell you, radical obedience is the only option. There's not like levels of obedience. There's radical obedience or nothing. And I love the fact that Jesus, as I said, he gets going. He gets this big crowd in front of him and he gets a guy literally coming saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, sign him up, get him the t-shirts, get him the cap, Jesus follower, and let's go, man. Give him the, the, the months freeze coffees. We want to really support this guy. He, hey, what's in it for him? Jesus beats this guy. He says, I want to follow you. And says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Basically, follow me, you might be homeless. The disciples, I can imagine Peter going, oh my gosh. Jesus, we're trying to build a revolution here. And then the next guy comes and says, I want to follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go bury my father. I think that's quite legitimate, if I'm being honest. Jesus goes and says, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Disciples, oh my gosh. Guys, Judas, you go talk to him. You, you'll say anything. Just go. Then, another guy, then Jesus gets going, and Jesus with this crowd wanting something for Jesus. They will follow you. And Jesus says, you can have no part of me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples are like, oh, he's gone full twilight. Oh. And it says the crowd left him. And it seemed like Jesus was unbothered. It looked like he was literally trying to dismantle the crowd. But actually, this is the reality that actually Jesus will offend you. And here's my quick disclaimer. If the word of God is not offending you, then maybe you're not following Jesus. If it's agreeing with everything you think, your comfort, what should work for you, how things would work, then maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe you've constructed what God, you think God would say to me. Because the Jesus I read offends me all the time. And here's the great news is Jesus was never looking for size, never looking for strength, never looking for superiority. He's always been looking for obedience. And that's what I believe the anointing is. God's saying, can I trust them with this moment so I can bring them to more? The simplicity of the anointing. Forget about gifting, forget about the man of God laying his hands on you, all appropriate things, but I tell you, I think they're very key, is God saying, can I trust him with obedience? If I can trust him with that, I can trust him with more. I tell this story ad nauseum, but so cataclysmic in my life. Years ago, my teenage years, battling with a pornography addiction. I was raging in secret, but also battling with this desire to love Jesus with all my heart. And I didn't know which one was going to win out. And I remember being at the back of a meeting like this, a Sunday night service in Durban, sitting there with this raging on inside of me, like going, God, I want all in, but I, I don't know how to be set free from this. I, I, and straddling these two worlds. And I felt the voice of God say to me, Gabe, radical futures demand radical obedience. And the service was going, and I just remember before I could even think about it, I thought, I'm done. I got out my chair, and I start walking down the aisle all the way to the guy at the front. I tap him on the shoulder, the pastor, and I say, can I say something? And he doesn't even ask me what. He just gives me the mic. And I'm getting up on stage. I'm like, what is going on now? Why, how did I get here? I saw my mom and dad in the front row smiling at me, and I was going, why didn't they come to the morning service? <laughs> I looked to the right. There's all the pretty girls, and I thought, I will never get a girlfriend in this church. And I never did. Praise the Lord. But I remember as I got up there, I just, in this moment, as tears started to flow, I just started saying, actually, I don't care what people think of me. I got to the moment where I said, I actually don't care anymore. I want what God has for me. 
That moment of desire versus obedience, actually saying they had to kick in. And I remember telling, this is my story. This is what the addiction, this is what I'm wrestling with. But actually, I'm, I'm done. I'm all out. And in that moment, a supernatural, it felt like a be- God is waiting for the obedience, for the supernatural to kick in. And it felt like the supernatural hand of God ripped out by the roots this addiction that had been waging war in my soul. And let me tell you, fast forward over 15, 16 years later, I promise you I would not be married to this girl. I would not be pastoring in a church here in Cape Town if it wasn't for that Sunday night. But let me tell you, those moments don't appear going, hi, destiny calling. They just look like obedience. And this is the problem. I think too many of us are watching destiny moments pass by, but we're not recognizing them because we're not quick to obey. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, verse 27. He says, a time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known. The context in this is in the positive. He's saying, if you have done something in secret for God, if you've served and no one's noticed, if you've humbled yourself and no one's applauded, if you've obeyed and no one's seen it, he says, God will not deny you. If you stand for him, he will stand for you. But I believe it in the converse, that the Bible says, everything will be made known. Everything will be known, made known. And some will rejoice and some will be terrified. But here's the reality for us. Maybe you're saying today, but what will people think of me? What will people think of me? Take a shot at obedience. Take a shot at obedience and see what God will do. Fourthly and finally, and I'll bring it into land fast, take a shot at total truth. We read the narrative. First guy comes, tells the dream. Joseph has this incredible dream. You're getting free, but, but you're going to be set free and restored. The, the baker comes and says, do me now, do me now. I want, I, want, I want that one. That's cool. I like that word. That was awesome. If I'm Joseph at that moment, I see him like, oh, I can see this is not going to go well. I'm fudging the numbers. If I'm honest, I'm doing like this. I'm like, you know, God loves you, man. Hey, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me pray about it a bit more. You know, I'm, I'm not telling him the truth in that moment. Because I'm like, I don't want to tell him. But Joseph is hardcore. Joseph says, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. I'm like, whoa. Joseph, turn it down. But I love the reality. This is, it's an all-in reality on what God is doing in his life. It's a costly reality. It's what the word of God calls integrity. And Psalm 119 says, blessed, fruitful, uh, full of his grace and pleasure are those who are integrous. And it's, the integrity is this, this powerful word that I think has lost its meaning because we've become this Instagram story generation where we will take seven, eight selfies of ourselves. We'll go through it, select the best one where we don't have the squint eye, where, where we're smiling properly, where we don't have the double chin. We'll take that one. Then we'll, we'll get the filters and we'll put the right filter on it. And then we'll get the app that takes away the wrinkle line and the crow's feet and make sure that we're looking good. And, and, I've, and let me just be honest on the side. I've seen some of your profile pictures and I've seen some of you in real life and it's just matching up. <laughs> take it or leave it, people. But I think that's what we do with God. We think that we're fooling Him. We think that we're putting on this perfect image, but we're actually not acknowledging all the, the reality around us. And there's no total truth in our hearts with our relationship with God. We've said it again. We'll say it again and again and again till our hearts believe it. Philippians 2 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling before God. That word fear and trembling is phobos and tremos. It doesn't mean respect and awe. No, it means fear and trembling. This is God. God. And if it's God, I'm going all in, total truth. He knows everything already. 
And this is the reality. Do you fear being found out or do you fear the Lord? Do you fear being found out or do you actually fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord is our future. Tonight, today, as I call Warwick up, as we land, I want to say to you, take a shot at serving. If you want to be great, serve. I want to say to you, take a shot at humility. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Take a shot at obedience. If you want a future, radically obey. Take a shot at total truth. If you want God's heart, fear the Lord more than fearing man and being found out. You see, this is the reality for me. When we look at that, serving, humility, obedience, total truth, how to have power when you have no power, we go to the next slide and we'll see that we take a shot. When you've got no other bullets, we've got nowhere else to go. You say, I don't have influence. I don't have ability to change my husband's heart. I don't have ability to change the, re- the, the status quo at work. I don't have the ability to reconcile what's going on around me. I don't have any bullets left in my chamber. There's four things that you and I can always go to. We can serve. We can humble ourselves. We can obey. We have total truth. We take a shot and we say, actually, well, watch what God will do. Can we stand to our feet in this moment? Philippians 2 says this about Jesus, our great model. This is not something that he's calling us to do that he hasn't done first. Philippians 2, it'll be on the screen, says Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He served, he humbled himself, he was obedient with total truth. And this is what happened, verse nine says, therefore God has exalted him highly and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I love that scripture because it starts out saying, Jesus, he took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But it starts out by saying he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He emptied himself out and he poured himself out. If you want to know, I've got no shot at promotion. I've got no shot to to make things happen. I don't know where I'm going. I've got no more bullets left. Pour yourself out on Jesus. Pour yourself out and look what, what he'll do. Can we close our eyes this moment? Every other religion will parade their highest moment. They'll parade Nirvana. They'll parade the mountaintops. They'll parade the strength of man. But it's our faith, the only one that says our greatest day was a day called Calvary. A day that looked like death. A day that looked like loss. A day that looked like surrender was actually the victory, the bullet that secured our victory. I wanna tell you the story of Joseph is all about actually Jesus. Because as Jesus in the prison, next to him is a baker who works with bread, next to him was A butler, a cupbearer who works with wine. In the prison, the bread and the wine, the blood and the body was there present with him. In the prison, there was two thieves 
One on left, one on the right. One would go free and the other would be killed. On Jesus, on Calvary, next to him was two thieves. One would be set free, today I'll be with you in paradise. On the right was another who was, was condemned. Just like Jesus, Joseph was eventually lifted out of that prison cell and placed at the right hand of the ultimate authority of the land, given all authority and dominion over the land. Jesus, just like Joseph, would be raised to life and see at the right hand of the Father, given all authority and dominion and power in the land. This is not just the way of Joseph, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the us, the way of the kingdom. Today, I tell you, maybe you have no shot. Take a shot in Jesus. Take a shot in Jesus. We're going to land in this moment, but I'm going to ask us in this moment, if there is a stirring in your heart to radical obedience, to total truth, to say, I'm humbling myself under God's hand. Why don't you symbolically lift your hands as high as you can, as high as you can in this moment. We want to sing one more chorus together. We want to sing praise the Father, praise the Son together. And as we declare that, let's worship and surrender our hearts, surrender that area before the King. Let's sing it together. have been God just stirring and preparing us for a great outpouring of His Spirit, outpouring of destiny. I believe God, even the series, is He's bringing promotion to people's lives, but not in the way we think. God says, will you trust me? It'll be greater than you can imagine. What I can do with a life that is fully surrendered to me. With every eye closed, in this moment, I believe today's a day of destiny, a day of obedience. Maybe this is your moment, like Gabe Phillips had 15 or so years ago where things shifted, saying actually, I'm dying to the old and I wanna live for Christ. Maybe that's you, I'm gonna ask us, we don't do this normally, it's not a stylistic thing, this is a response to the King. I fear the Lord, I fear the Lord. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to come out your seats and come and kneel at the front here. We've created space at the front here, we wanna pray for people, but more than even the prayer, it's just a symbolic gesture of saying, God, I'll trust you more than my own devices. I'm gonna to count to three, if that's you, I think there's a lot of people who need to come out their seats because destiny is calling. God is calling, saying, take a shot on me. I'm going to count to three, and what did you come? One, two, three. If that's you, come out your seat. I believe God says, my hand will lift you up. My hand will lift you up. Come to the front, kneel the front. It's not for man. It's not for God. For us to see, it's for God. Why don't you kneel? There's more people. Come, come, come. For us, for me, this is the most important part of the meeting is people identify with futures. Maybe you've reached a place of desperation. You don't know where to go. Saying, God, I need to come and fall at your feet again. I need to trust you. Trusting for life, trusting for healing, trusting for provision. Saying, God, I'm all out of bullets, but I'm taking a shot at you. That's you. Come to the front now. Come to the front. We've got a team of love to pray with you.
I believe this is the place of deliverance. If you've been in bondage to addictions, you've been in bondage to anxieties and, and insecurities, it's a spiritual warfare. It's broken by obedience. That's the unleashing of the supernatural. Not in us saying, I'll try harder, not I'll manage it better, but actually I'll obey completely. If that's you. I still believe there's people. I believe God wants to break the back of addictions, of insecurities here today. Come to the front. God is making us a church as the people who fear the Lord, who don't care about reputation, who don't care about what people think of us. We are people who are God pleasers. I even, as I preached, every I close, I preached about pornography and lust. I believe it's ravaging, ravaging this generation, ravaging us as a people. Men and women, it's ravaging us, ravaging us of intimacy, of the promises that God has got for us as we take that, that pseudo lover, that we look at that pseudo images. I believe God wants to break the back of that. Take a shot, take a shot. It's not impossible. Lift your hands, so lift your hands if you've been battling with the, the, and the grip of lust. I pray right now, Father God, would you break that, that addiction? Would you break that obsession? Right now, I thank you, Jesus. We're not here to play games. We do business with you, God. I pray right now, would you release sons and daughters right now? Would you set the captives free? I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, right now. I thank you, Jesus. The destiny is on the balance. We're going to land in the next couple minutes as these people get prayed for. Why don't you lift your hands as a community? Close your eyes. I want us to honor God in this moment. Rather you not look around, not obsess what other people are doing. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. It's not under my prayers, not under my abilities, not under the ex expert nature of a preacher. This is under God. God can do it. Right now I pray over marriages. I pray right now of marriages that have been beaten by life, that feel on the ropes, that feel exhausted, that feel like they're just moving, just like trickling along. I pray right now the life of God to flow in marriages. Husbands to take their rightful places, the priests and heads of their home. I pray for wives to find their voice, God, to find the ability to speak truth and courage to their spouse. I thank you, God, for intimacy. I pray for total truth in marriages. I thank you, Father God, right now even for single people here who have said, God, I want a future, I want a spouse. God, I thank you that they would not settle for second best. They would not settle for average. They would not settle for, for this is what I can do. I thank you, Father God, that you will provide. You'll provide. I thank you, Jesus, right now. I thank you, Father God. I pray right now for Diane Falsha. I pray, Father God. You say in due time, I will lift you up. And I thank you, Father. Your hand is upon her. Your hand is upon her and her family. And I thank you, God, for that. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I thank you, Father. I thank you, God. I thank you, Father God, that you are a faithful God. We trust you, Jesus. While we sing that chorus one more time, then we'll end. Praise
Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.